This morning, I want to close by just doing a little bit of a review of Nehemiah, and I want to ask these two questions which pertain to Nehemiah. Uh, The first one, both of them up here, how do you leverage yourself for the benefit of others? Especially those who are in need. So one of the greatest tools you have as a leader is leverage. And that could be a position, it could be your education, uh, it could be your influence, all kinds of ways you have leverage to use, and you leverage that for something. I'm specifically thinking today, because of Nehemiah, how do you leverage what you have to help other people? And I'm thinking specifically people who are in need. You might say it another way, what troubled or needy situation do you insert yourself to cause a change? So how many were here for the very first Iron Leadership back in September? All right, so quite a few. And most of you have probably seen the, uh, the Yellowstone video where they introduced the wolves. Remember that? And so basically they were having some troubles in Yellowstone, and one of the solutions was to send in a small group of, or pack of wolves, and just that one insertion caused what they called a trophic cascade. I love that term, a trophic cascade. So all the environment got reshaped by one singular insertion of the wolves. And so that's what we're thinking about in that question is how are you inserting yourself? And, of course, they're not, they're not fixing everything. They're just doing one thing that's causing other things to happen. And you re- if you remember the video, the last thing is they changed the, the flow of the river. And you're thinking, how do the wolves change the flow of the river? Well, the whole cascading comes down to that point. So vegetation grew in and the river stayed in its banks and all that stuff. So I'm just asking you, there's some place, as we see in Nehemiah, we'll talk about it in a minute, that God has broken your heart. God has captured your heart. God has captured your imagination. What, however it may happen, there's something for you, and over a lifetime, we mean more than one thing, that God wants you to insert yourself and leverage what you've been given to help in some form or fashion. So that's my first question. Second question is, how does this insertion of yourself, how does it stretch your faith? It might be, does it stretch your faith? If it's not stretching your faith, you need to look for another place to insert yourself. Because when you're going to insert yourself, when you're going to leverage your position, it's going to be stretching. It's going to be difficult. It's going to create some challenges as we've seen with Nehemiah. And how is that stretching your faith? How is that stretching you to be more disciplined? How is that stretching you as a leader? Because a lot of times when you feel the need to insert yourself, that first step in, that can be a big step. And you're not quite sure exactly how it's going to unfold. I mean, with most of these stories, we know how it works out, you know. 
Noah gets in the boat and he survives. So you, when, you start, when you're starting, you're not worried about Noah. When Nehemiah gets the call, he, you, know, end up, he, you know, he ends up building a wall. So there's all kinds of things you know, but for you and I, when you get the call, when you get the drive to say, God's given me a passion for this, God's given me a, a brokenness for this, and I'm going to step forward, when you take that step, you're not exactly sure how it's going to work out. And so my question is, when you see that thing, when you have that sense of God's calling, are you really ready, disciplined, and courageous enough to take that first, what I might call, leap of faith? I want to show this video. Uh, You've probably seen it before. Felix Bumgarner. Remember this guy a few years back for Red Bull? 24 miles up in the air to break a world record of a free fall and parachute jump. This is not my idea of fun. But he takes a, a balloon up, and you'll, we'll see the little countdown where he steps off. He ends up going physically 830 miles an hour. He has to have a heat shield on him so he doesn't burn up just on the friction. And he goes 24 miles down to earth. And we're just going to see this little segment here where at one point he has to decide, am I all all in? It's a pretty tough little moment. So let's watch this. Okay, item 26. Move seat to the rear of capsule. Item 27. Lift legs into the door threshold. Item 28, slide the seat forward. Okay, item 29, release seat belt. Item 29, Felix, release the seat belt. Boy, that's good. Okay, slide forward into the rest position. Go a little bit further forward so we can check your chute. Your chute's okay, Felix. I say again. Item 31, your chute integrity is checked. Your parachutes are not deployed. Item 32, verify cutaway knife handle strap is attached and knife in proper position. Say Roger if it's so. Roger. Okay, chest pack face plate heat is on. Make certain that's is on and you got a red light. Okay, uh, here we go. Item 34, disconnect chest pack umbilical. Okay, uh, do you read me, Felix, on the communications? Uh, Felix, give me a short count. Okay. Stow umbilical. Disconnect both oxygen supply hoses. 
Okay, are they disconnected? Give me a thumbs up if they're disconnected. I don't, they're still connected. Felix, disconnect the oxygen hose. a boy. All right, stand up on the exterior step. Keep your head down. Release the helmet tie-down strap. Start the cameras. And our guardian angel will take care of you. isn't going to be quite so dramatic. It's not going to be on a film. But there are those moments where you just have to say, okay, I'm all in. You know, I'm all in. Once I take this step, then I can't, I can't like say, hey, I'd like to turn around now. And, and at that moment, you've got to have the courage. You've got to have the discipline to, to, I mean, this wasn't his first jump. You know, he'd done all these things to get to this point. And so I want to talk about these two things. First of all, as a leader, how do you leverage yourself for the benefit of others? First of all, I just want us to notice how frequently that pattern is in the Bible, how God uses people to leverage them, especially to help the needy. Now you could probably think of several of them here, or some of the ones that I thought of. First of all, Moses, such a clear example. Uh, 400 years, people had been enslaved. They've been in captivity. And God needs somebody who has the capacity, has the leadership capacity to lead a whole nation. So he's looking for somebody who has that kind of capacity. Secondly, he's got to get that nation out into a desert. So he needs somebody who has the capacity to lead an entire nation and live in the desert. Well, I wonder who that could be. Moses spends his first 40 years living in fa with Pharaoh learning how to lead a nation. Next 40 years, he spends living in the desert, learning how to live in the desert. So when Moses is 80, God plucks him up and says, I'm going to leverage what you have now. And I'm sure many times Moses thought he was wasting his time out in the desert to, to let, leverage what Moses had to bring a nation out into a desert. Such a great picture. These people who are enslaved need somebody who understands the mind of Pharaoh, who understands the mind of God, and has the capacity to live in the desert. So, so God is forming Moses, just as he may be forming you in some way to, to leverage you. It may not be for a whole nation. It may maybe just be for a person. Queen Esther, again, such a great uh, place, the the the. The Jewish people were just about ready to be eradicated. And uh, this guy, evil guy named Haman had hatched a plan to 
to, to destroy the Jews. It's one of their seminal moments in their history. And, and Haman has, platched, has, has plotted this thing where the king is going to destroy all the Jews. And Mordecai, the, basically the leader of the Jews, he knows the plan is, is, a, is about ready to happen. But he doesn't have any leverage with the king. So he knows this evil thing's happening. He doesn't want it to happen, but he doesn't have any leverage. He needs somebody who's a Jew who has leverage with the king. Who would that be? Queen Esther. She's a Jew, and she's the queen. And so God forms, forges this one woman to leverage her influence at great risk to herself, and you all know that phrase in, in the book where Mordecai comes to Esther and is, is imploring her to, to step in, to, to take that step that Felix Bumgarner says. And he says this, if you remain silent at this time, Esther, if you don't leverage your position right now, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But who knows that you have come to a royal position, what, for such a time as this? Moses gets leveraged to help these people who are impoverished. Queen Esther gets leveraged to save this group of people. And, of course, the ultimate person is Jesus. He, he leverages his leadership position for sinners like you and me. Philippians 2. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He leveraged his influence. He took on the very form of a servant. He came down here, made in human likeness, being found as a man, humbled himself, leveraged himself, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross so in some sense can't say the same way as we would for Moses or Esther but God's looking for a God man somebody who has this unique capacity to represent mankind as a real man because Adam failed but also has this capacity to absorb the wrath of God and to be holy like God who could that be it's Jesus so if, when you read your Bible, you'll see this over and the same pattern over and over again. God's forming and fashioning leaders to insert you into particular places to leverage your influence to help in some way. Could be a nation, could be a city, might be just a particular individual. Which brings us back to the first question how do you leverage yourself for the benefit of others? Now, Nehemiah, we see him as our example here all year. Babylon had invaded Israel. They had deported people out of Israel uh, into Babylon to be slaves for all the people in Babylon. Seventy years goes by. Uh, the city of Jerusalem still in ruins. The people are still enslaved in Babylon. And Nehemiah gets a report back from his brother, Nehemiah chapter 1. You remember this. Can you, tell us, can you tell me about the people in Israel or in Jerusalem? Yeah, the walls are broken down. They're broken down. 
And that captures Nehemiah's heart. He, he, he can't get it out. It's not just any old report. This is a report he can't seem to get out of his mind. It troubles him. So he goes into this prayer and fasting pattern. And he says, I've got to do something. I've got, I'm not praying for God to do something. I'm praying for God to use me. This is a really diff, big difference in a prayer. You and I might pray a lot of things like, God, would you do something about that? That's a fine prayer. But that's not the prayer I'm talking about. This is a leadership prayer. This is, God, I, I hate that this is happening. Would you insert me as the answer? That's a really big difference. Anyone can stand on the ground and say, you know, Felix, untie the oxygen tank. Step forward. But somebody's got to go up there and actually do it. And so I'm not trying to discourage you for praying for things that you can't personally insert yourself. But the leadership moment is the thing that God's called you to you insert yourself. And say, God, I can't stand this anymore. And I want you to use me to be the one who gets involved. So Nehemiah makes that prayer. And he makes that big step forward. Now, so a couple of questions we've asked here. One big question is, what's broken in your world that breaks your heart? There's millions of things broken in the world. And many of them are heartbreaking. But what's the thing that captures your attention? That for whatever reason, you've been... For such a time as this, you're just planted in this location, this neighborhood, this church, this city, this relationship. And it, something's broken, and God needs someone because that's the way he operates. He's incarnational. He's not sending a book. He's sending himself to step in. And my question is, what is that for you? We've been talking about that all year. If you don't know, then I would, spend, I would just make it my 2018 summer goal to say, God, help me to know what's broken that breaks my heart. I mean, give that to me. That would be the first place to start. And I want, I want to make sure we understand the kind of terms I'm talking about here because a lot of times when you think about um, Moses or Esther or Nehemiah, they're, they're such a big scale that sometimes you just think, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to rebuild the city of Wilmington. I mean, this, these things are too big. I'm not going to be the person that saves a people group out of uh, slavery. But it could be something much smaller. Remember, we're talking about a trophic cascade that starts with you inserting yourself and doing something different that causes a big effect down the line. So I have a friend who died maybe, I don't know, a year ago. And I was with him 20 years ago at a meeting. He was telling me about his life and his parents, his grandparents, his, you know, family tree. And he said, Paul, every male that I can go back and find in my family tree was an alcoholic. I'm not going to be an alcoholic. I'm going to break that chain. Now, that was a very, that's a very difficult chain to break. 
But he said, I want somebody to look back in a hundred years and say, hey, I, I have a different family chain. And maybe they wouldn't even know that that person decided, I'm going to step forward and be that chain breaker right there. But think about the cascading effect. Now, this man's dead, and he's kept his promise. And he's got two girls. They're going to have a different life. They're going to marry somebody maybe differently than if they had had an alcoholic dad. Do you see what's going to happen? A trophic cascade is going to happen. So when, I, when I'm talking about how you might step in, how you might leverage yourself, it's going to be all kinds of ways. And I don't want you to get overwhelmed. That's, it's not some big thing. It could be just something that, I don't want to say small, because that's a big thing, that you say, hey, God wants me to, to be, he's inserted me into my family tree to leverage my faith to not be an alcoholic anymore in our family tree. What, what a massive thing to try to take on. But it, on, on a scale, it might just look that small. So again, what, what breaks your heart that God wants to insert you to, to change? Secondly, Nehemiah sees the problem and he has to step forward. And there's several different ways he steps forward. Uh, chapter 2, he steps forward by risking his position. You remember, he comes into the king, he's the cupbearer. When you come into the king's presence, you can't be, you got to be all smiles, right? And he's downcast, and the king sees it, and what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? And it's a big risk for Nehemiah to even have this emotional downcast. And he has this little moment of a prayer, and then he says, you know, king, I've, my people are hurting, and when they're hurting, I'm hurting. And so I can't help but be sad. And this great question, huge question the king asks, what do you want? What do you want? And Nehemiah's ready. He's ready. He's done his prayer. He's done his planning. And he's ready to say, King, I need you to leverage yourself for me so I can go leverage myself, right? Nehemiah can't, can't just be let go to do it. The king's got to give him some money. The king's got to give him some letters to get there. The king's got to give him a lot of resources. So he's saying, would you leverage yourself so I could go and leverage myself? It's all this little system. And that was the, that was the first big step for Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah has to take a lot of steps along the way. He gets back, he inspects the walls, and they're maybe in worse shape than he imagined. And think about this. You go back, you've inspected the walls, the people are broken down. And you might just want to say, you know, before I say anything, let's just turn back around and say, you know, too, it's too bad. But he gives this great little speech. God's for us. Let us rebuild the wall. So that's another step he takes. A, a, a third big step he takes. This is in some ways my favorite chapter because Nehemiah is not mentioned in the chapter. It's chapter 3. You remember the setting? He takes every homeowner and every business owner whose home or business is part of the wall, and he says, you build that part of the wall. And, of course, they're like, yeah, I'm all in because my bedroom is right on the other side or my business is right on the other side. And he gets all these people all lined up around the wall because he knows he can't do it by himself. He's got to leverage their interest to get something done. You see how this is happening? 
He's got to get them to say, I, I want to be involved, and I have a personal interest in this 25 foot feet of this wall. I'm going to make sure it's rock solid because my business is just on the other side. So Nehemiah doesn't try to just do it himself. I love this little African proverb here. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, you've got to go together. So Nehemiah understands this leadership principle. He's not just going to personally go leverage himself. He's got to get other people. And, and notice in, in, a, in a way that's really hard to imagine, Jesus does this. He gets 12 other guys to say, guys, you're going to go build something that I'm not personally building. And I'm going to help by the Holy Spirit, but I'm getting you to say, I'm going to build a church and you're going to be the wall builders on that. This is happening all over the place in Nehemiah, in the Bible, and for you. But this, again, this is a big step. It takes a lot of courage to ask somebody to be a part of your dream. Because they might just say, I think that's a stupid dream. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Hey, I, I was in a small meeting. This was not a meeting about a dream. We were just trying to make a decision yesterday, and I said, hey, this might be a really bad idea. Let, let's try to do it this way. And it turned out it was an okay idea. But when you're sharing your heart, your passion, your dream, what's breaking your heart, it's not going to break everybody's heart. They might be like, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, that's not for me. And, and that's a, it's a big risk when you have to do that, when you're, when you have to, but you have to do it if you want to go far to get people. And finally, the, another big step that Nehemiah has to take over and over again, he's constantly facing opposition. And he has to say, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I have internal opposition. I've got a lot of fears, but I'm going to keep going. I've got my friends around me, the people building the wall. At some point, they get sideways, but I'm going to keep going. And I've got external opposition. Remember, he says, I don't have time to come down from the wall. I'm just going to keep moving ahead. So he has all kinds of moments to take these courageous steps forward. So we're going to break up into groups. We've got about 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. I want you to take some time to think about these. So how, how do you leverage yourself for the benefit of others? It might be do you. Or how do you, especially those people in trouble or need, Maybe asked another way, what troubled or needy situation should you insert yourself into to cause a change? How does this insertion stretch your faith? Where do you need courage right now? You know, maybe you, you've, you've inserted yourself, but you've gotten tired and you need courage to move forward, or you've gotten pushback, you need courage to get, move forward, or any number of things. And then if you have time, as you think about Nehemiah's life, what's been most helpful? What, like if five years from now you go, oh, I remember that year we studied Nehemiah. What was most, what I'm going to remember about Nehemiah is this. All right, ready, break. <laughs>